Welcome to Coworking Out Loud, where we explore the deeper side of coworking, content, and community. I'm your host, Kat Johnson. Hey friends, in this episode of Coworking Out Loud, I'm talking with Kevin Whelan from Everspaces. And Kevin and I absolutely speak the same language. We both work at the intersection of coworking, content, and community. And when I connected with Kevin in person in Toronto recently, I knew that I wanted to further our conversation and get him in front of you all. So we're going to talk about humanizing your brand, about the power and importance of content and so much more. So I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Coworking Out Loud, Kevin. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Thank you, Kat. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And for context, as you know, this is a show about coworking content and community. And I've been looking forward for weeks to talking with you about the coworking and content piece. And we've known each other online for years. I think we've probably had calls and chatted before, but we hadn't met in person until Toronto a few weeks ago and uh, Mm -hmm. connected. And immediately I'm like, oh, we speak the same language about content. Like I knew I wanted to just get into it and and delve into this with you. So um, let's backstep a little bit. And will you give me your backstory of how you kind of came into the content and then co-working world? Yeah, uh, I'll try to do that very quickly. I think content has always been the way that I've gotten clients. So on a personal level, that's been the only constant that has always resulted in me getting more business. So I've always just naturally gravitated towards that form of of marketing. And it's a great way to connect with people. And uh, I used to run a marketing agency. I've been freelancing. I've been doing web design and, and then marketing for going on two decades now um, as a as a part-time thing, turned into a career. And at one point in time, I worked with uh, uh, IQ Offices, a co-working space in Toronto, and, uh, and they were just a client that I had as part of an agency. And then I uh, slowly evolved as an agency owner into a consultant. I, I really liked the advising portion of what I did and helping to to build teams and systems. Um, and then I, at the same time, around the same time, started doubling down in the flexible office industry. I asked uh, Kane, who's the CEO of, of IQ, mm-hmm. I said, hey, what, what do you think if I if I specialize in your industry? Like, we're having some great success here. I love the path you're on. I love the industry. And he was blown away. He's like, yeah, I'd love it. It would be great to uh, to have you in the industry and learn you take your learnings and apply it to our business and it'd be a, you know, a great thing. So that's how I got into it. And then I slowly met people and got involved in the, the conferences and the community. And, uh, one thing led to another and now it's most of my, my business today. And you're, you're such a great resource and I love, not everybody understands the power of content. They kind of treat it as a check it off the to-do list or whatever. And it's like, when you yeah. get it, like you've built your business around creating content. I've built my business around creating content. I've never done paid ads or anything. It's all brand building through mm-hmm. organic content and serving. And um, tell me kind of your, your big picture philosophy, not just within coworking, but kind of the power of content. Like what, what draws you to it? Well, I think fundamentally speaking, the internet is content. 
and we spend most of our attention online today, even if we're working in an office space and, you know, but a lot of our work is done digitally and online. Um, so if you want to, if you want people to be aware of you, you have to get in front of them either in real life, which I think is super valuable. And, you know, that's why events work so well. Um, but also just digitally through content. So I find even just by taking a mindset of making useful content, content that is useful and interesting to a reader, whether they buy from you or not, and leading with that value, uh, even if people don't consume it, they'll still see you showing up in all the places online. And that alone goes, oh, I wonder, you know, especially depending on the flavor of your content, I wonder if they, I wonder that, that actually, I didn't even know there was a co-working space in my neighborhood or my town or my city you know, maybe I can go and explore this and see what they have to offer. And so you become top of mind, people, be, you know, making noise, generally people will hear you. And if you make good noise, it's music <laughs> and people will pay attention, they'll, they'll follow you. Um, but if not, people still then notice you and refer you. And really, it's not always about finding clients, members directly through content. Sometimes it's about creating enough music that people notice you and talk about you and, and help spread your, your, uh, your word. And uh, it's a great, great, uh, way to do that. Oh man, I love the music analogy because there is a lot of noise, right? Within the and it's yeah. it's tricky to stand out if you're putting out generic content. But when you say that, what I think is like content that resonates with your ideal person, with the dream person who you love working with content that's helpful, content that's consistent. Like there's a whole kind of underlying thing here where it's not just like throwing a topic into chat GPT and, and publishing it because you have to, you know, write blog post on your to-do list for the week. It's like knowing your people so well that you're like, this is going to be helpful and resonate with them. And it's not easy to do. Like sometimes I'm like, come on guys, just create it. And it's like, that's like we were talking about before writing comes easy to me. Communication comes easy, things like that, but it's not always easy for, for everybody. So when you're talking to a space operator, a community manager, a marketing lead, how do you talk to them about music versus noise in, in their content? Great question. Let's go back to the fundamentals and then we'll get to the music. And so, um, the reason a lot of people struggle with content is, is twofold. One is because they don't have a clear view of who they are and, and why they're unique. And mm. there's no, you know, the, the, like they haven't maybe overly considered they've taken for granted that they've built this beautiful space and they've done the, the, all this stuff, but they've taken for granted that they also brought a unique point of view that they're probably not even aware of. They just thought that was common because They've, they've, they've just invented it, you know, through wanting to create a better thing. Um, so really getting clear on what is your edge and find, you know, uh, Wes Cow calls it like a spiky point of view or like what is your unique thing that you're trying to lean into as a, as a brand. And that's another thing people are really challenged by is like, you know, what do we want to be known for and what's going to be that edgy quality that we're going to have? So we're not playing safe because, you know, we're not... We're not zebras in the Sahara, like we mentioned before. We're not trying to just fit in with everyone else. What we want to do is be the, like Seth Godin says, a purple cow. Yeah. And you, the way you do that is by going internal and saying, okay, what originated my idea here? What and what do, what do I really kind of believe to be true about co-working and officing? And how do I bring that to market in a way that has a personality or an edge? And then once you have that, then you say, okay, how do I create content that is inherently useful to my target market or or entertaining? 
So it's like either you're educating, you're entertaining, or it's somehow useful yep. or storytelling. And, um, and how do I do that in a way that brings my, my edginess? Like you're wearing a cool jean jacket. I'm wearing a cool jean shirt right now. So we're, we're matching, but <laughs> like how a- do you bring that, how do you bring that flair and personality to, to your work? And that comes back to a little bit of introversion and then a lot of, uh, like you said, knowing your, your, your member, but. Yeah, yeah, and it does take some some soul searching, some working. Um, like as a writer, it took years and years and years to figure out like, oh, this feels like me, right? I had an editor push back one time. He said, Kat, this feels like anyone could have written this article. I want to read Cat's yeah. article. And I was at the time I was like, oh God. But it was really like a turning point, like, okay. Like, how can I bring more of myself to my writing? And uh, I write a lot. I write every single day. So uh, I've had a lot of reps, had a lot of years of practice, but it takes a while to find that voice to understand, and not just voice, but my perspective. It takes a while to understand what is it about my point of view that is going to resonate different than everyone else. And in co-working, you know, a handful of years ago, if a co-working space opened, they would get like mentions in the press. Sometimes some of them would have like a mayoral ribbon cutting. It'd be a whole thing. (laughs) And now it's laughable now because there's so many co-working spaces. And then the growth projection, like by the end of the decade to have five times as many spaces as there are, it's like, it's just not enough to be a space. It's like that, that, soul searching of like, who are you? What are you about? Who do you serve? What do you do really well? What's your spiky point of view? Um, do you have exercises or, or things that you give clients to help them surface that? The one that I would refer back to the most, which is part of business strategy is, you know, I start with the original premise of your business. What's the, and the way I come to that is Ernest Hemingway has a quote and he says, uh, start with the truest sentence, you know. Mm. And so when I talk to my clients and I'm trying to uncover what's the strategy here, because somehow they've landed upon a generic, say, brand or, you know, point of view, or at least it's not apparent what it is. What's what do you know? To, what's the truest sentence, you know, about the about the industry and the space? And then and then what do you what therefore what have you done to to make a particular model based on what you believe to be truest? And that that when you do that, then go, OK, like, here's what was what I believe is the opportunity, my insight about the market, my competition and the, and my, my customer, for example, if you're serving uh, solo professionals, you know, that there's a price sensitivity to that market. And so how do you reverse engineer a service that's extraordinarily and a community and, you know, that's extraordinarily valuable to them factoring in all those pieces, because your insight is there's only so much people are going to be willing to pay at this particular level. And this is who the people I want to serve, um, which then backs into all your other pieces. What else do I, believe to be true about them and how can I support them in a way that I'm the obvious choice. And so I it all comes back to what's the original premise? What's the thing that you believe to be truest? And, uh, and what did you, when you started that business, what did you, what, what was your initial kernel of a, of a view vision that, uh, that you've kind of blossomed and grown? Because when you go back there, that's when you realize that's the, that's the opinionated portion of it. And is that still true? If so, let's, let's let that, let's let that out. Yeah, I like that. Is that still true thing? Because things shift around, right? And who you start out serving may not be who you're serving a couple of years in. And um, I think 
almost every co-working space operator in the world who hasn't done this kind of internal work, if you asked them who their members are, they would probably say, we have a little of everyone. We, you know, we have something, we have lots of different things. We have everyone in their space. But when you take that down a few levels, you start finding things that, that separate you that are differentiators. Like maybe everyone or the majority of your members live within three miles of the space, or maybe the majority of your members are established uh, service providers like accountants and things like that. Or maybe the majority are young remote workers or something like you start finding these things. And then that informs the whole thing because like creating programming and content and for young startups or remote workers is different than content that you would create for seasoned accountants and things like that. So it's like finding those things. It's like, yes, you serve everyone. There's some of everyone in your space because in a co-working space, you want lots of diversity. You want lots of people doing different things. That's what makes it buzz. Um, but finding those things and be like, oh, turns out 70% of our people are doing this type of work or are like tech startups or something. And then you can build a whole brand around that even if you didn't know that going in would you agree with all of yeah. that yeah 100 percent. i mean you know there's always a through line to your best members and so what is that through line like while everyone is diverse and may come from different backgrounds do different things there's usually a through line whether it's a values or a personality or a culture or or, or like you mentioned, you know, you find that you're attracting service-based professionals who require a little more of a professional presence, and therefore you're just like, okay, I'm noticing that. Uh, yeah, 80, you know, there's always an 80-20 where you know, 20% of people provide, you know, like 80% of your, of your population may make up or your membership may make up a certain kind of uh, through line or or service type or business type. Um, and it may be, may be very different and the services you offer may be very different than you originally expected also. And so I think rather than judging what the market is asking for and doing, it's more about paying attention to who is the super consumers of our space. Who are the 20% of people that are most engaged, most loving, most using your space or, and, or are the most profitable group or however you want to look at it. Um, and looking for those like disproportionate, uh, things in your business and just doubling down on the things that are working and the services that are working, chances are you built offices that are too big that need to be made smaller or you need to find a creative way to sell them or vice versa. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's the evolution process, but in marketers, it's not about being, you know, partial to your own ideas. It's really about serving the people who are grabbing on and figuring out why are they grabbing on to our, our particular business. And if you want to keep growing it, it's about serving them, continuing to double down on those things. Yep, and go if find. No one gets it right the first time. In go any find more of them. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's definitely an organic kind of shifting, shifting process. And I love the words like brand, culture, values, all these things. These are the um, when we started talking, I was like, Kevin and I speak the same language. I love this. Um, let's let's talk quickly about the relationship between brand and marketing because I'm really really. Um, I don't know what the right word is, but really feeling brand these days, I feel like that's becoming the thing of like having a clear, strong brand and brand community is that serves as a magnet is for me becoming more important than just kind of 
random marketing acts just kind of pushing out things. So how do you how do you kind of see marketing and brand playing together? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's a topic the industry needs to become more acquainted with, like all of us, you know, um, and I, I see brand, especially as it relates to co-working, as largely tied to an identity. And so while the while the makeup of your members are going to be quite diverse, there's also a shared identity. It's the same way the people who drive certain types of cars or drink a certain type of uh, drink at a, at a bar, uh, there's something going on or wear certain clothes or have certain uh, brands that they would that they buy and relate to. Something about those things tells a story and, and matches their internal dialogue of who they self-identify as. And so when you think about it as like, who are our raving fan members and, and who is the, who are we like, who, who, where's the rubber meeting the road? And then how do we, how do we really, you know, plant a flag and say, this is who we are as a community. And a lot of times brand building is inefficient. It's doing things that are a little expensive that don't have a clear ROI. It's in investing a little hev more heavily in a certain maybe uh, ad campaign or event, you know, that you want to do that seems expensive and doesn't directly correlate, but but you know it invests in that feeling that people are associating with because people buy, they need to buy both logically and emotionally. And a lot of that is driven by their identity. And so how do you help reinforce that? Uh, and part of our identity is status. And so this is like a nuanced psychological thing here, but am I not my status relative to other people, but am I moving up in the world relative to my former self? Mm. And so just understanding that the office represents both who they are. And if I'm a suit and tie, then I have a certain type of office. And if I wear jeans, jean shirts to, to the, the space, then I have a certain type of thing. And am I now moving up in the world because no one wants to move backwards. Progress is what makes humans in a lot of ways happiest. And so having a space that reflects a, an improvement from the former version of yourself and where you maybe worked from before. So people feel more and more successful uh, and aligned with who they are as the, as a professional, um, because you won't appeal to everybody, but those are the insights that I have. And then how do you make a brand that feels a little bit aspirational and that ties into the, you know, whether you're a suit and tie, like I mentioned, or a professional service provider or a, a creative or some kind of hybrid. Um, tying into that. So that's how I look at brand is the identity first, making sure people feel like they you know, birds of a feather do hang together. Even if they're diverse, there's still a through line and you have to figure out what's that through line and what identity are we trying to own for our members so they feel like they're in a place that's suited for them because no one wants to be in a place that they feel like the odd duck. Feeling like the odd duck is the worst, especially if you're in a space yeah. trying to feel belonging and community and connection. And it's like... If you feel like the odd duck, people might stick ar around for a few days or a few weeks or a few months, but eventually they're going to bounce. Like, that's definitely yeah. not the thing. So you make such a good point about brand and the ROI of brand and people being hesitant to invest in this intangible called brand. There are, there are people, business people, operators who rely 100% on data. To, for decision-making for everything and uh, yes to that. And it's like, you have to be willing to do those things that you can't measure a, a direct ROI. Like what's the ROI of having a newsletter that has a high open rate? What's the ROI of throwing community events that, um, <clears throat> 
that are really engaging and hyper-focused? What's the ROI of building your brand, building your identity, spending dollars and time and resources internally, figuring out like, who are we and how do we interface with the world? Sometimes that's a tough sell when people are like, well, what's the ROI? What's the ROI of social? What's the ROI of doing reels? It's like, I don't know, but I have one that's going off right now and the co-working world is sharing it all around. That's good for me. Like, can I tell you exactly like we can track how many followers we have and things like that. But it's like, what's the what's the return on having an article I wrote kind of buzzing around the co-working world? I don't know. You know? Yeah. And it, I mean, it stems back to the, your, your, your little, your tight vision or your uniqueness or your, your, your spiky point of view. And I, we just have to remember that, uh, innovation and branding is inefficient. And so you have to continue to innovate and it's a messy, expensive process to do that and to create a brand, which is ultimately to create a feeling of belonging, you know, and, and, uh, positive associations that's inefficient as well. But you better believe that like nobody buys something reluctantly where they have any kind of control in the transaction. That's just not how economies work. So everyone buys things. They need logic and they need emotion and it needs to be aligned. And so logically doing an event or investing a little more in in funky graphics for your website or having a blog or a podcast that has, you know, a hundred listeners over the course of its life, which seems like not that many, but, you know, like just the very active doing these things. And that's where the, that's where strategy and trade-offs come into play. But it's just, you know, having almost like an inefficiency budget that you spend towards <laughs> creating a feeling, you know, and just being okay with, it feels like I'm wasting money here and then tapping into how you feel producing it. Like I can't explain it. It's completely illogical. My accountant would, would, would kill me. And, <laughs> but it feels like it creates a vibe. It creates, you know, I know it's a word we both are, are driving with these days, but it, uh, following your gut and creating a feeling and a vibe, uh, knowing that it's expensive and unreasonable is a signal to the market and, uh, has a lot of effects that are not logical, but we don't, humans are not logical. We're partially logical, but we buy with emotion and justify with logic and it needs to feel something. So it's so hard true. To do. Those unreasonable things. We talk about this a lot in the lab. There's the book, unreasonable hospitality kind of, sparked a lot of conversations that we've been talking for months of like, what are the unreasonable things you can do that really um, bring that sense of belonging, that connectedness, that sense of wow, that members are like, what? Um, Oh, you said something in there with brand. Oh, the consistency piece I think is key too with Mm -hmm. content. Like, is putting one blog post or newsletter or real or LinkedIn post and that everyone goes, yeah, that's great is nice, but you have to do it again and again and again, week after week, after week, after week, after week. And then people start paying attention. Remember when, when I started doing content, probably around the same time you started doing content, it was like, you know, people needed seven touches with a brand. That's what they would say. Seven touches. And now we're mm-hmm. at like, I don't know, 20, 50, a hundred, like how yep. many yep. Instagram posts do you have to see before you click through to somebody's space or, or company. So that consistency piece and 
It's like by the time I'm bored of talking about a topic, people are just starting to pay attention. You just have to like say it over and over and over and over, whether it's co-working or yeah. a marketing agency or whatever. So what are, what are your thoughts on just the consistency of content and brand? It's a really important topic. Um, and uh, something you've mentioned before, but you write daily, right? And so d whether you publish daily is another thing, but assuming you're doing some form of writing and publishing daily, it is a muscle. And the more you create some kind of content, whether that is an audio and you have a little podcast or a little video or social media where you get like a, you just kind of put yourself into it a little bit. Um, the more you produce, the more easily the ideas come and the more they flow. And the less you produce, the more they atrophy and get harder and harder. Another analogy I look at is, um, uh, I think it was, uh, what's his name? Ed Sheeran was talking about how, you know, when you turn on a, a tap, you know, it's like dirty water that comes out at first and it's not very clean, but as you let that tap run, then the good stuff starts to come out. And so, um, you have to continue the, that water running or else you're going to get rust in the pipes and you know, and that that's going to happen, but you have to be willing to put out rusty water mm. until you can get the reps in to have the pure water. And that's where people fall down the most is like they judge themselves too harshly to begin with and don't push through that initial phase. Yep. Um, more bonus points for another music analogy, but yeah, that's <laughs> where most people get, they, they get stuck at the starting line of like, I'm going to study this yeah. until I get great at it. And then I'll release something to the world. And it's like, you just can't, whether it's launching a co-working space or launching a blog or a YouTube channel, like that's why we were chatting, like making myself do more YouTube videos because I want to get good at it. And I know that I'm going to have to suck for a while as I learn it and yeah. course correct and make little iterative improvements to get to where I want to go. But I can't just like study YouTube and then think that I'm going to drop a video and it'll be great. It's like you have to be willing to do all the things that to learn a skill, right? Re regardless of, of what it is. Um, Kevin, what is a key problem you see co-working space operators or a key mistake you see with, with content, blog, website? I think um, not infusing enough of the owner specifically into the into the content and the style. And so the best ideas, the most, the edgiest ideas are always going to stem from the owner. So people delegating to someone else, but not having the owner putting their inputs and their worldview and their, their vibe into their content, uh, is a, is a challenge. And, uh, and the other part would be just trying to be the zebra and the Sahara because it feels safe and fitting in and either not creating content or because they don't want to, you know, produce something poor that would reflect negatively, which is more of a uh, fear than an actual risk. Um, but, but really it's like, how do you create something that has an original point of view? Um, and so I think a combination of not putting the, not letting the owner put themselves into the, into the content, even if it's about the member, even if you're highlighting your member and making it about them, for example, how do you do it in a way that has your vibe attached to it? Your, you know, the, the type of questions you ask determine the type of answers people will answer. And I think there just needs to be more owner infusion specifically and not less delegation, more owner involvement, even if they're not the ones writing on the keyboard, even if they're just talking to a writer, someone that that's agreed to write with them, how do you get them to create some value, create some, some thinking and put out, put out some energy of their own and that changes things. 
Kevin, I could not agree more, especially in co-working, especially it's such a human industry and it's a massive missed opportunity if the leadership is not sharing thoughts about their vision values and vibe. It's a huge missed opportunity when people try to write like the brand. It's like, oh no, we're, we moved past that. COVID like shook us all awake and nobody wants to hear from a brand <laughs> ever again, right? It's like, who yeah. is this? What is this? What is this about? Why should I pay attention? And there's so much online that, you know, generic things about, hey, we're having a sale on an office. It's like, oh my God, this could be any co-working well, space like in the world. 100%. I think you, just as you mentioned about the brand factor, like, you know, Virgin... Uh, has maybe a million followers or whatever on the platform and Richard Branson has tens of millions. Right. And so people do business with people. And as much as we think we can just put a brand up, which actually feels like the safe thing. It's like our brand, our shiny brand that we worked so hard, our, our, our logo, no one resonates with a brand. They only resonate with people. So the, the more you can author and byline content from ideally the owner or a community manager, uh, or at least co-create it and have that infused in there and like using referring to yourself in the first person as you're talking to someone else, the more it actually, uh, as long as you don't make it about you, you know, you turn it outward, make it, make it about the reader. So they're consuming something that's in their interest. Um, but yeah, I think, I feel like that's, uh, yeah, it's, that's the best approach. It's a huge opportunity. Everyone listening, do that, mm -hmm. please. Um, plus, it's so much more interesting. Like, what's your origin story? What's your vision? Why are you doing this? How, like, how do you serve people? Like, that's so much more interesting, especially now that blog posts are worth nothing in and of themselves. Right? It has to be something that that connects. I have Kevin a very specific question for you. So, for spaces that haven't opened yet or that are just opening mm. how do you advise they go about getting their first batch of members so that they can then start like feeling into what's the community and and where's the brand going okay so what i look for before space is launched is uh signals of interest and this is a uh, an idea from daniel Priestley. he wrote a number of books one of them is called oversubscribed which is definitely worth uh, checking out. And what we're looking for are signals that people are interested in your space or your, or your, or potentially becoming a member, uh, or just in, in, in the, just being a supporter in general. So in to get tactical with you, um, you know, if you're building a new space, getting a landing page up as soon as you can with a manifesto of sorts or some form of like, here's what we believe, here's what we think is much more important than here's how many desks there are going to be in here by now. And what you're looking for is getting on the waiting list as early as you can, months in advance. An example of this out in the wild right now is uh, if you go to once.com, O-N-C-E.com, the founders of uh, Basecamp and 37 Signals, they're on a mission to create software that's no longer recurring in, in, like, as a SaaS recurring business model. And uh, so what they've done is they've created a letter on once.com once that's basically, you know, talking about the problem and getting people to buy into uh, this new this new old concept of software that you pay for once. And so then uh, they did the same thing with hey, hey.com when they created a new email newsletter or oh, email yeah. service. And they produced a little letter. And at the very bottom of the letter was like, if you're interested, uh, put in your email here and we'll, you know, we'll send you some more information. But what they do is they create a bit of a manifesto that starts off with like, here's what we see, here's what we believe, 
here's our new way of looking at the world. And then going out on social media and your own network and amplifying it as much as you can and just talking about this premise, this vision you have and what you believe at the heart of it, uh, the insight you have that's going to create the, the business you're about to create. So all you're doing is expressing, you're collecting interest in a waiting list based around your belief system, your goals, your vision, and why, the, why, th why things are not working or why things are broken and why the world needs what you're offering. And then if you can get people to get on a mailing list to, as a waiting list, uh, that's far and away the best way to open a new location. And you can't do that when you're at location number 12. It just doesn't work. It's especially important when you have a new new business where the owner is personally invested, sharing content on LinkedIn and their personal networks or social media to generate word of mouth. That all drives back to this landing page, which is just a letter to your to your target market, not a sales page, a letter that says, here's what we see, here's what we believe. Join the wait list if you're if you want to be a part of this movement or this thing. And that can work for everyone. And that's I think the best way to get started. I absolutely love that. Yeah, for any space, any project, any anything. So in Toronto, you asked me, Ruben, and Christine a question that if we could put up a billboard for every co-working space operator to see with our approach to marketing and brand building, what would that billboard say? And I want to hear what you would say, what your billboard would say. Funny, I asked that question without giving it any thought, but I really think it's an important way. It forces you to underline and think about what uh, what you want to say. I think your members have all the answers would be the main mm. thing. So when you're not sure what to do or how to how to pivot your business, because your business is evolving, it's always evolving around traction. You know, the market is the market is what the market is, and so you can either fight it and try to push a rock up a hill, or you can follow momentum, mm. even if it's small. If you've sold something, there's something there. Let's pay attention to what happened such that who bought, why do they buy, why do they choose us and figuring that out so you can evolve around it. So anything you have questions to, the, your members have the answer to it. And not just by asking and surveying, although that's good, you want to always be gathering information about where were you looking before us? Why do you do this? Why do you want an office in this way why, or co-working in this way? And um, so that's good, but also just paying attention to actual behaviors and uh, verifiable data, like what, what business do you run and how big is your business and what industry are you in and, and, you know, where do you live? And so things that, you know, just paying attention to the, the data that people, you know, that are, that are measurable. Uh, but that, that my billboard would be your, your, your members have all the answers and, uh, it's just a matter of paying attention and observing like on a safari, just watching and gathering info, but really just watching and observing and seeing how how, what people are resonating with buying, moving toward and evolving around that and continually doubling down on those things and not fighting things that aren't working. I love that. I would love to see our billboards like yours would be first, your members have the answers. And then mine would say, be brave, humanize your brand. I feel like that's a good like, tee up yeah. and, and go. Well, and two sides of the same coin, right? Because I don't want to like, I want to remind you that it's it is about you as the owner, and and you know by extension who you hire to help you and all the, those things. It's as much like your infusion, your creation meets the market, meets your members in the middle, and so it's a matter of marrying up your vision and your values and what you're interested in and your gut, following your feelings, you know, a little bit and relying on that feeling. 
and being brave in, in putting that out to the world with an opinionated stance and sharing your worldview and your story and your beliefs that have led to this, your insights with what the market is asking for and figuring out where that common ground is. And so I think our billboards would work really well together because that's, you can't do it only by, you could follow the market into oblivion, but you also have to marry that with what do you want to produce? And it has to marry, otherwise you don't have a business. You either have art or you're just following, you're following things and you know, letting the tail wag the dog in terms of how you run your business. And that's not good either. So it's that that's a good combination. Yep. I, I think that is like the high frequency resonance where you're so close and listening so closely to your members, your customers, your clients, that you know the language, you know their challenges, you know their aspirations, all the things. And it aligns, you find that pocket where it aligns with your vision, values, and vibe. It's like in that space where everybody's just vibing and going and communicating and working off of each other, um, being flexible about your offerings and your programming and things like that to be as relevant and, and timely as possible with your members. I feel like that's just where you see brands absolutely take off and they be, it transcends workspace, right? And it becomes something yeah. else entirely. Um, Kevin, tell us quickly about your offerings, your services, who you work with. Yeah, uh, I'm an advisor. And so I help, I help co-working operators from pre-launch to single location. Uh, I spend a lot of time in the multi-location space, uh, figure out what to do with their marketing and where to spend money, where, you know, how to measure everything and, uh, ultimately how to grow and get more members. Um, so all those, that information is ever, everspaces.com. I publish all my stuff really explicitly to make it easy to see what I do. Um, but that's it in a nutshell, Kat. And it's packed with amazing content and resources and blog posts and the newsletter and all the things. Kevin, it's great chatting with you. We could we could go on and on and on. Um, I, I love digging into content and being able to connect that with co-working is just an absolute delight. So thank you for being here. My pleasure, Kat. Thank you so much. And thank you for leading the community. You've been doing this for a number of years now and, and moving the the industry forward. And so it's great to be part of the community that you're building. So mm, thank you thank for Thank you, having Kevin. Me. That means a lot. It really does. Thank you. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Coworking Out Loud. Head over to catjohnson.co to register for the next Coworking Convo and to learn more about The Lab, which is our membership group for indie coworking space operators. See you soon.